Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. I'm Duncan CJ, and today I'm talking to Fred Branson. Fred is the co-founder of Amintani UK, and which is an award-winning charity which works to improve the lives of Peruvian children. Fred established Amintani in 2007 when he noticed big problems between the education system in remote areas, where children would often force to work and uh, walk for up to eight hours uh, a day just to get to their uh, closest school. And once they got to the school, exhausted, the standardised curriculum seemed irrelevant to their indigenous lives. And so he set up Amantani to combat these two problems with a focus on respect for their local uh, customs and cultures. Uh, and basically their work has just received like huge, huge, amazing media attention. And Fred was recently invited to give a TED talk uh, the other day all about the art of giving. So it is so exciting to talk to you today. Fred, thank you so much for being here. No, thanks for having me, Duncan. It's a pleasure. Um, now what was like, what was the moment? Because I, I know that, um, you were, you were on your gap here, you're traveling around Peru and you're working in, I think you're working in an orphanage in Peru and, and then on your last day, you <coughs> went up into the, uh, the Andes and up in the mountains. And I think, was that when you were exposed to, uh, the Quechua regions for the first time? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was, um, Looking back, it was pretty crazy, really. I was uh, 18. I'd just left school. Um, I'd always had this idea of going to South America. Um, I was obsessed with I started learning Spanish when I was 12, so obsessed with the idea of going to South America. I went out there, spent five months out there traveling through Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, um, got up to Peru, um, and did a month's voluntary work in an orphanage project up there. And then it was on my last day after five months in South America, just before I got on the plane back home, that I went up to Corca, uh, which is this uh, indigenous district. It's just an hour from the city of Cusco. So it's really close to what you would call a kind of Western city. It's, I, my classic is that I always say is that it's got a McDonald's, to kind of put it in perspective. So it's, it's a pretty Western city. And then you just go up for an hour um, away from this city along a, a little dirt track and you get to Corker, which just feels like a completely other world altogether. And I'd been traveling through South America for about five months, but I'd never actually taken that much of a detour off the tourist route in order to actually see um, a bit of the reality behind the scenes. And so, yeah, it was, to be honest, it was a bit of a flying visit. Um, and uh, we, we went up, we walked into a few classrooms, met with some of the children, met with some of the teachers, met with some of the parents. Um, and then before I knew it, I was back in Cusco and then back on the plane on the way back home. So it so was... What, what I was going to say, just what, what, what was that? Was there like... Um like a moment because when you got back home like I mean you, you decided just to change your entire life and just basically just jump straight head in and like focus like your whole life basically towards setting up this charity helping others what what, what was the moment was that was it literally that one day where it was just like I've got to do something about it or was it something which had been a seed that was planted in your head or how did how where did that come about yeah I think it was like a I think that day was like the um, the last straw. It was something that was building up. I think it kind of started off in a really small way in other countries in, in South America and Argentina. Like It was the first time that I'd been exposed to any kind of poverty that was that visual and that material and that obvious. And so that was kind of playing its part as I was, I was traveling through Peru. And then I got to Cusco 
and um, I did this voluntary work in an orphanage project. And this orphanage project is in the city of Cusco itself, but I soon realised that the vast, vast majority of the children in the orphanage are actually from rural areas like Corker. So they're sons and daughters of indigenous farmers from the mountains or from the jungle. And so I was, I was kind of, you know, wondering why so many children end up in an orphanage and so many indigenous children end up in an orphanage and then uh, I met two women who basically kind of inspired me I, I saw the problem I saw that so many children were being abandoned and left in these homes and then on the other hand I saw the solution because these two women were just incredible one is a Spanish lady um, who moved over there 20 years ago and she's the closest thing to a saint I've ever met in fact she should be talking to you on here um, you should get her on the show if English is good enough. Um, she's she's just got no concept of work life. Uh, she is just absolutely hundred percent dedicated in the most pure way to helping children in Peru. And so she was just like a, a massive inspiration to see that someone was actually being useful in the world and, and doing something of purpose. And then I met uh, another uh, woman, a Peruvian teacher, and she said, well, look, if you want to help the children in the orphanage, don't help them at the end of the cycle when they've, you know, they've ended up in the orphanage and the problem's kind of already there. Go out into rural communities and start working with education. And so she said, come with me to the, the community where I work, which is Corker, where we now work, um, and, and have a look at, at the problems that are happening with education here. And this is why all the children you've been working with are in that orphanage. Yeah. So it kind of, everything kind of came together on the last day and it all made sense um, that if I wanted to do something to help the kind of children that I was working with, that the best place to do it would actually um, be in Corker with the teacher that I met. That's crazy. And what, like, nowadays, like, I mean, right now, like, what, what is your motivation? Is your motivation today the same as it's always been eight years ago? Or has it changed and developed over years? Like, what is, what's, like, the big picture? Like, what, what drives you? I think um, in the early days, it was, like, blind faith. It was just, it was more, I think in the early days, it was more the problem that motivated me. Um, it was, there was an urgent need that children weren't able to get to school, and I was in a position to do something about it, and I felt... I wanted to do something about it. And so it was kind of, it was very much more geared towards the problem. And I met with children who had really sad stories and I was working kind of against those stories almost. I was working to try and avoid those stories. But now as the years have gone on, we've had more children come through the projects that uh, have actually come out the other side and have gone on to university or gone on and, and one girl in particular who went on to study university. I was going to ask you about that because um, uh, I'm trying to, yeah, Marleni, I mean, can you maybe just yes. describe, like, because I remember when I, when you were, uh, I went to uh, what we're going to talk about in a sec, like Meet My World, and you told the story of this girl called Marleni. Can you maybe just uh, describe who Marleni is and what, what was her dream? Yeah, I mean, she's she's the main source of motivation for me because she shows what's possible when we do our work well. Um, she's uh, she was the first girl, one of the first girls who ever came into the boarding houses back in two thousand and eight when we first opened the boarding house. We had twenty girls come in from the local secondary school, and Marlene was one of them, and she comes from a very typical background in Corker, um, problems at home with the dad, um, with uh, alcoholism, which is a big problem out there, and in turn that creates a really um, chaotic 
violent home life. Um, so she, she kind of, on the one hand, she had this similar background to all, all these children in Corker, but for some reason she has always stood out as being different. Um, she's so driven and so confident. She, out of nowhere, she just has this amazing inner confidence that um, she can walk into any room and she's got presence and she believes that she, she's entitled to, to do whatever she wants. Um, and so she ended up finishing top of her class uh, at the secondary school and that basically gave her um, access to a scholarship to go to university in the local city. And this, it was, you know, when we first started the project, the aim was one of the dreams was that one of the children might be able to go to university if they, if they wanted to. And everyone said, well, that's impossible. No one from the district had ever been to university before. And so she just completely, she just, you know, she just completely changed everything. Um, and for the younger kids, it's just awesome. They, they love her. They look up to her so much because she shows what is possible if you, um, yeah, if you put your mind to it. So, what, what did that feel like personally on a personal level? Because like with having that dream of like you know everyone's saying it's not possible, it's not possible. And she's seeing Marlene as an example of what is possible. You know, with actually the right drive. You know, on a personal level, did that? I mean, that must have been felt amazing, did it? Yeah, I like. I don't know. It's a, to kind of. I remember going out for dinner um, with Marlene when we were celebrating her going into university, and I felt the kind of pride that, I, I don't know, a teacher would feel for an old student. It was, it, yeah, it was, um, it was amazing to see how happy she was, basically. And, um, yeah, I think it was interesting because the relationship just completely changed from that day on. Like, she was, there was no longer any kind of hierarchy of teacher-pupil or, um, in some, you know, me being the Western gringo. Um, and that kind of got swiped off the floor. And, and now we're just really good friends. You can meet up and... Um, have dinner together and, and it's more of like a, an equal relationship rather than any kind of hierarchy which is which is surreal because when I first met her she was 12 I mean I was 18 so I was still pretty young and I was the age she is now so it's yeah it's um it's strange but it's it's fantastic I think one thing which was um which jumped out when I was I was you know I've I've, I've you know, obviously I followed um, Amantani and your progress you know, for years but one thing you know, things like lack of water, food, shelter are you know are quite obvious things. Not obvious things, but you can you can see and measure. You know, you can see and measure th things. One thing I think which is really interesting, what what you guys do as well, is you focus a lot on helping children with like low self esteem and lack of belief in their traditional roots, um, and which is maybe not something which is so obvious, but it's it's instrumental to how they view themselves, how they see you know life and. One thing I'd really love to hear you um, just describe is Meet My World, and in particular this idea of helper and the helped, um, this, um, this idea of actually what we can learn from them. Um, I, that was a really bad description. You, you can obviously describe no, that. No, no, no. Um, Do you know no, what I'm trying uh, to say? Yeah, it's... Um, uh, I'm just trying to work out the best way to approach it. Well, it's like this, it's this yeah. massive theme in, um, in, in all of our heads, and it always has been since the very beginning. And it's, it's this, you know, huge concept that um, can be spoken about uh, from lots of different angles. Mm. Um, but I guess it all started when, um, in, in the early days when we were working uh, with the children. And I was out there as a young guy um, doing my best to, to help them in whatever way I could. And I quickly realized that actually uh, the, the learning wasn't moving in one direction. And actually I was learning a lot from them. And that 
I think sometimes the way that life in developing communities is presented to us back in the UK slightly changes our perception of what life is like in, in those communities. And not all of us have the possibility to go and visit these communities and to live with people and to get to know them. And so a, a lot of, um, and not to badmouth any NGOs, but um, I think a lot of the NGOs um, out there who are you know, admirably trying to raise funds for their cause, but they, they sometimes go about it by really highlighting the problem and really um, sensualizing, if I can even say it, the, the problem um, and really um, building up feelings of pity and guilt in people in the UK so that they're driven to make a donation to their cause. And so it changes the way people look at life in developing communities. And our idea is to, um, to look at the positives and the resilience and the potential that these communities have and to show the world that actually, you know, sure, they've, they've got problems and like we all do and their problems are material and we can help in, in that way. Um, but they've also got a, a culture which is thousands of years old and that we... Uh, in the West can can be listening to because they're things which can all too easily be forgotten, I guess. Um, and so they're like this this voice that needs to be listened to in the world because they're still living according to old customs and traditions and they still have a lot of um, wisdom which we don't necessarily uh, have. And so, um, yeah, so in terms of how that kind of translates into our work with the children, um, the, the other point of view, to the other kind of bit of background that um, people need to know is that in, in Peru, as in many parts of the world, indigenous people aren't seen very well. Um, there's a lot of prejudice, a lot of racism against indigenous people, Quechua people, um, which is the biggest indigenous group in Peru. And so, and, and it's largely, you know, down to the way they live, um, their hygiene levels, um, their education levels, their, their lack of literacy skills, etc. And it means that if young people were to migrate to the local city or to bigger cities in Peru, they, they come up against this huge wall of, of racism and marginalization, kind of showing them, telling them that they're not worth the same as other people. And so in, in Peru, the whole idea of Meet My World was to show the children that their culture is fantastic, that their communities are strong and vibrant, and that they have things to teach people in the world. So Yeah, that's amazing. And for anyone who... We, I went about maybe two months ago, three months ago, um, there was a cinema in London absolutely full, you know, full to the brink, and they had these short videos which were made by the children in Peru, in these communities... And they were actually teaching us stuff. So they were, you know, how to um, how to like, catch a fish with their hands, how to um, how to dye wool, and all these amazing sort of traditions which have been passed down from generation to generation. Um, and actually, the whole emphasis was then actually what we can learn from them. And yeah, I mean, you said it as well. It was it was it was an ama- it was an amazing moment. And you then took those videos back to uh, back to the communities and you saw the reactions. You know, these, were, these videos and these uh, films were shown like countries all around the world in front of thousands and thousands of people. And by showing them, actually, this is a tradition and these are cultures that you should be proud of. And so you were actually helping them be proud um, of their heritage, which is just an amazing, amazing idea. It's really fantastic. Yeah, which, 
it's like the best geography lesson ever to bring up the map of the world uh, with all the 110 countries where their films have been viewed, each highlighted and kind of going into the different countries, explaining what the name is and, and um, what goes on in that country. So, yeah, it's, and for us, it's, I guess, a lot of charities focus on the material, which is important. But to be honest, the poverty in Peru is, is different to poverty in other parts of the world. It's, um, it's cultural poverty and it's very much... Um, Poverty very much follows along the lines of, of race, and it's largely Quechua people that are uh, alienated from modern society. And so our idea is that it, it goes back to fulfillment in some way, um, that for, for the children to lead a happy and fulfilled life, the, the core thing is, is kind of accepting yourself and, and to have that self-esteem to believe in in who you are as a person mm. and such a big part of that is is where you come from and your your cultural identity so it all it all plays into that really yeah because i mean i mean we, we touched on it there but like one of the reasons why I, why i wanted to talk to you was that um it's i mean we often assume in the westernized modern world that you know we've got it right you know and you could you know and this is how life should be but i mean you could just as easily argue that in fact you know these traditional communities have actually got a much better grasp and understanding of life and actually you know tradition and you know maybe we're the ones you know like you said we should be learning from them so that i, I want to kind of almost turn it on its head and actually it was one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you because when we're talking about happiness and fulfillment you know we assume like the modern world is the way to do it. But a lot of, you know, we can learn so much from all these ancient traditions and cultures and, you know, from all around the world, which is um, why I think the Meet My World project was such an amazing project. Yeah, there's um, two, two uh, things which, there's two kind of uh, sayings, I guess. What One um, from the uh, Quechua culture, in the, in the Quechua language, there's no word for poverty, as we understand it, there's there's no concept of, of poverty in that sense, and their their understanding of poverty is the person. So the, the poorest person would be the person with fewest people around them. So essentially, poverty for them is is loneliness, and I think that's pretty powerful uh, in relation to our concept of poverty and loneliness. Absolutely. Um, and the other one is um, the other one that springs to mind is that. Because um, you're, you're talking about kind of learning from tra- traditions and, and ancient cultures, and and I guess some people would question what, if there's any merit in that and what there is to learn. And I think we kind of in our you know fight for progress, we quite often um, we quite often think that the, the next generation knows more than the generation that preceded it. Whereas I've spoken to um, some communities in Peru that believe that. Um, each generation knows less than the one before it, which I really loved as a as a kind of concept of progress. I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of the things which, um, well, through some of these interviews that I've been doing, I mean, kind of a th- an idea or a kind of theme which has been sort of toying my mind is actually a lot of the stuff, it's actually... It's not about learning anything new. It's almost just trying to unlearn all the actual... You know, all, all the stuff, you know, we kind of... Deep down, we kind of know, we kind of we kind of get life, we kind of understand how to be happy and stuff like that. And it's actually unlearning all the stuff, all these distractions, which we're, kind of, we're kidding ourselves, you know, all these material things, you know. Um, but no, that's, I, I, like that sure. idea of the, uh, I like the idea of the generation every time we know a little bit less than the one before. Yeah, yeah, I like that, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that, um, because it's, it's kind of tied in what we were just talking there, but 
you know, I guess in the Western world, you could say that we've lost, you know, some of our respect and connection back to like nature and back to our planet. And um, with the Quechua communities, you know, they've got this relationship with Pachamama or like Mama Earth. Like, what is that? Is, 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 have they got that close relationship with, with the land and with nature and or I mean, is, is that is that do they, do they have that kind of quite close bond? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, good research, by the way, Pachamama. Not a lot of people know that word. Um, yeah, they, um, I guess, they, they live so close to the land and for thousands of years their communities have depended on, um, on nature. So yeah. they, they look at everything has life. Um, so every single, literally even um, this bottle of water has life. Everything that we think is an inanimate object for them has life. Um, and deserves respect and for them they live so close to the land that they um, they they need to respect the land in order for it to support them in their agricultural processes so they they depend on it in a way that we do as well but we feel so distant from that connection that we don't quite um, realize the respect that it warrants so yeah i think because they're they they live so close to it and because they're they're self-sufficient farmers so they're they they sell off very little of what they make and the majority of what they they grow is actually to feed themselves and their families and their communities so they um yeah they have i think um they completely different way of looking at the world it's, it's just fundamentally different in the way that we see ourselves as um, separate from the world and separate from nature. And we might be guilty of seeing nature as a resource, um, as, as something which can be measured and cut up and, and sold and um, something that we can use for our ends. Whereas they, they see nature as something that um, you have to negotiate with and converse with. And, and there's this kind of reciprocal connection between the two. And they see themselves very much within nature and inside of it. And um, I, I think it, it changes the way they, they look at it. And for them, you know, Earth is, is their mother. So it takes on this kind of whole nurturing feel to it. And there's, there's a lot more um, feeling in their relationship with nature than, than we might have and the way that we might look at it. I think that's I think that's amazing. Like, <laughs> I think a lot of the things I'm actually learning and reading and finding out about you know a lot of it's actually pointing back to actually what you were just saying there i think i think they probably got it a lot more right than actually we do um what what on a bit of a detour but um what have you personally got from like the last eight years like how do you think your life has changed or how what are kind of the big sort of learnings or lessons do you feel i'm putting you on the spot there a bit like sorry so much <laughs> no i think um i can i guess uh when, when it all started, I felt like I was making a sacrifice, but I realized that that's not the case at all, that, in, in, you know, it's, it's given me a lot more than I've given it, if, yeah, if that can be said. Um, what's it given me? I guess it's given me, um, well, it's just, it's given me a lot of happiness, um, met with a lot of stress as well. Um, so it, it kind of, it's given me both, but I think it's, it's, the sense of purpose, um, sense of responsibility for something bigger than yourself, uh, which I think gives you meaning. Um, I think um, it's it's forced me to do things I, I hate doing, um, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> um, I 
you know, I, I, I used to completely hate public speaking. I don't like doing accounts and boring things like that. But um, because you care and you want it to work, you end up, and because you're a small team, you end up doing lots of different things that you never would have dreamt of doing, um, which I think is good because um, it pushes you out of your comfort zone and, um, and, and makes you learn lots of different things. Um, yeah, that's think- great. No, it's in that, I mean... Well, I heard you when I heard you speak a few months ago. It was like it was unbelievably eloquent, and like we were actually saying, like of um, we were all just like chatting actually in the crowd. We couldn't believe it. You're just going marching up and down the stage, just holding a fort. No, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to when I was 15. No, 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 when I was older than that. I was 18. I went to like public public speaking for the fearful course or something like that to try and get over it. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's been a long old journey. <laughs> now, just a couple of speed round questions to finish up. Like, what does a fulfilled life mean to you? Uh, I think it's it's different for everyone. Um, but for for me, as for what I kind of, if I'm looking for fulfilment in my life, I'm probably looking for a sense of purpose. I think. Um, I think for me, purpose gives me meaning, and that doesn't have to be. I think it's it's kind of. Um, feeling connected to something bigger than yourself and feeling passionate about something bigger than yourself. And that could be, um, and it could be a person, it could be people that you're connected to, or it could be a cause, um, or it could be a passion that you have, but it's, yeah, having connection to something bigger than yourself, basically. That's so cool. And, uh, what is one thing our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their lives? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I didn't say donate to Amantani, would I? So, uh, <laughs> um, I think, yeah, either make a donation to Amantani um, or um, another plug, but why not? Um, log on to see the children's films because uh, I think they're, they're pretty uplifting and they come from children in the Andes who don't have a lot, but uh, I think I'm sure they can put a smile on your face. Yeah, I'll, I'll chuck, I'm going to definitely link that up in the show notes. And uh, are there any books or resources which have changed or had a big impact on you? Um, yeah, there's um, the, the when I was talking about the, the relationship that um, Quechua people have with nature and how it's fundamentally different to, um, to, to our relationship with nature is uh, from a book called The Spirit of Regeneration and it's by a Peruvian NGO who uh, called Pratek and they're kind of big inspiration for us. They started back in the nineties. Um, and yeah, they, they, they know their stuff. Um, and then the other one would be, uh, growing up in a culture of respect, which is all about childhood in the Andes and the traditional education system in the Andes before schools or books or teachers ever came along and actually how fantastic it was. Um, and how, you know, children would grow up into young people and young adults without, the concepts of adolescence just didn't really exist. Um, they, it was an almost kind of seamless transition into adult life from childhood. And it's it's all these um, things which have, have they've been developed over time, um, but not consciously. No one sat down and planned the Andean culture's curriculum, but they're, they're just, it's genius. Um, so, yeah, those, those two probably. Amazing. And last but not least, how can people stay in touch, find out more about you and all your work at Amantani? Ah, uh, best place to go is um, amantani.org.uk. Um, and in terms of like regular updates, Facebook's the best place to go. We tend to keep uploading stuff on Facebook. So, yeah, I'd go there. 
Fred, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you talking to us today. It's been, it's been incredible. I really, really enjoyed it. No, good one. Thank you, Duncan. Good luck with it. <laughs> we'll catch you soon. You, you, I mean, I didn't even mention at the beginning, but you're, you're in Lima, so you're going to be out there for a few more months, but maybe catch you up when you're back in, uh, back in England. Yeah, absolutely. See you then. See you there, dude.